Well, if you're just joining us uh, today, we are in a sermon series where we're studying the gospel of Mark, and um, a gospel is simply uh, a story. Um, there are four gospels we have in the New Testament, and a gospel is simply, simply the story of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ while he was here on earth. And Mark is actually, scholars believe, the first one of those, the earliest one of those written down. And so we're studying it, and uh, so far we've seen... Um, this one true king, Jesus, promised, um, and prepare, we've seen John the Baptist prepare the way. We've seen him come onto the scene, uh, be inaugurated into this position as the king. Last week, we saw him call his first few disciples, and now from uh, here through the rest of the book, he's off and running in his ministry. And uh, so even though we're cha- in, still in chapter one, and eventually we'll get out of chapter one, um, we see uh, there's a lot going on, and so um, I'm excited to look at this this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, looking at verses 32 through 39. If you want to follow along, it's printed in your bulletin, uh, or if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read it for us before we jump in and, and look at it together. So hear now God's word to us this morning. That evening at sundown... They brought to him, to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I want to start this morning with the words of David and Psalm 27, when he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall, though an army encamp against me. My heart shall not fear, though war rise against me. Yet I will be confident. And then he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And uh, Father, this morning, uh, that is uh, our prayer, that uh, we would be able to do just that in this time, that we'd be able to gaze upon your beauty. I pray that you give us your spirit, uh, help us to do that as we look at this particular uh, passage And would you make yourself beautiful to us in in all the specific ways uh, we need it this morning? I pray that for myself and uh, for my friends here. And we ask Jesus this in your name. Amen. Well, it's always a bad setup when you have uh, a different purpose for someone than they have for themselves. When you have an expectation of what someone's going to do for you that's different from their own expectation of what they're going to do for you. Let me give you an example. So some of you know 
uh, Sarah and I, we had a traumatic experience a couple of years ago with a few trees that uh, fell in our house. And these were two big trees. One of them was a, a monstrous oak tree. They fell from our neighbor's yard during an intense summer thunderstorm. Uh, they, they covered the entire backyard, um, ended up with two big portions of them leaning against our house. It was a total disaster. And uh, they also brought down a, a big power pole in the backyard. And obviously the power lines that came along with that, they were kind of like in the middle of all the trees. Um, and so as soon as we got our bearings, we were actually inside the house when this happened. We heard them snap and kind of saw them coming. But as soon as um, we, we basically got our bearings and realized what had happened, the power lines were kind of one of the most concerning things right away. So we called the power company as quickly as we could. And before we left to uh, go somewhere else to stay for the night, I remember their team showing up. So many people, so many chainsaws, so many big trucks and equipment. And I remember seeing them and feeling so much better and thinking to myself, they're going to take care of this. We're going to come back in the morning, and yeah, it's going to be a, a muddy mess for a long time, but the trees are going to be gone, and it's going to be okay. That was my expectation, even though, by the way, they never said they were going to do all that. But when we did get up the next morning to come back and see what they had done, what we found was a muddy mess, and the power pole was back up, and the power lines were intact and were working. However, the trees were not gone. They had cut some pathways, now you could at least walk in the backyard, but there was still so much work to be done. Why? Because that was not their expectation for what they were going to do. That was not their purpose. As a power company, their purpose was to get the power working again, was to get uh, the power pole back up and the lines intact so it was safe and was working. And that's what they did, and they did it really well and really quickly. It was impressive how fast they did it. But because I had the expectation, even if it was, if it was foolish and, and wishful thinking in hindsight, that they would get rid of all the trees for us right then, it was disappointing and painful to come back and realize that, no, we were going to have to do all that. All right, it's a bad setup when this happens in any relationship or interaction. When your expectations, when your purpose for someone doesn't match up with their actual expectations and purpose for you. And this is certainly the case in our relationship with Jesus. When you and I have our own expectations for Jesus, when you and I have our own purpose for him and what we think he's going to do in our lives that doesn't match up with his actual purpose for us and what he wants to do in our lives, similarly, and to a much greater degree, it can be painful disappointing, it can be frustrating, and most importantly, can keep us from enjoying the actual relationship and blessings he did come to bring us. And our passage today is, is filled with these kinds of dynamics. As Jesus has, has now gone live with his public ministry, right away what we see is people struggling with trying to manage him trying to, to fit him into their own expectations for him and the kind of king they want him to be. And yet, in the midst of it all, what we see is that Jesus, he makes it very clear to them and to us, through his words and actions here, his true purpose. Why he came. Most of all, what he came to do for us so that we can enjoy the real king he is and, and what he did come to give us. 
And so this morning, what we're going to think about is simply why the king has come. Why the king has come. Why Jesus has come. And we're going to look at this as as we work through this story in three movements. First, we're going to think about uh, why we think the king has come. Second, why the king has truly come. And then finally, we'll spend a few minutes thinking about, so what? What does that mean for us today? So first, why we think the king has come. And so last week, we saw Jesus start his ministry by preaching the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it's come near, that with him coming near, the personal rule and reign of God has come near. And then after this announcement, Mark told us about him calling his first four disciples to come follow him. And then what we see in the rest of chapter 1 is something of an illustration of what it looks like that the kingdom of God has come near with him. And we didn't look at the stories directly before this passage, but verses 21 through 28 tells the story of Jesus going and, and teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, the Jewish day of worship and rest. And there Mark tells us that Jesus taught in such a way and with such an authority that people were amazed. But not only did he teach, then he showed this authority by, by casting out a demon from a man uh, who was possessed by one there. And then the next story, verses 29 through 31, Jesus leaves all the action going on there. And then he goes to Peter's house where he heals his mother-in-law who has a a dangerously high fever. And then you come to the beginning of our passage that tells us this in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, I'd never noticed this before, just reading these stories uh, in Mark chapter 1. But these were all happening on the same day. People waited until sundown because this marked the end of the Sabbath and and meant they could now seek healing, which uh, could be considered work. And Mark says the whole town comes to Jesus. And he continues to show the, the power and compassion of the kingdom by healing and casting out demons. And, and by the way, demons begin to show up a lot in Mark. We're not going to go really in depth on them today, but they're going to keep showing up. So we'll talk about them in future sermons. But the whole point is the kingdom has come. It's breaking through. Jesus the king shows up and things start happening. Sickness and evil flee from him. There's healing. There's restoration. There's new life coming in droves. Right? All this, all this is happening. It, it's uh, what the, the beginning of what the prophet Isaiah had pointed to. In Isaiah chapter 35, when he said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so what we're seeing here, this is a big part of why Jesus came to show his power and authority to give us a preview of what the kingdom of God is going to be like to show us his mercy and compassion as one who cares. To show us he's a king who's willing to spend all day and all night caring for our needs. And so, of course, everybody's excited about this. Everybody's talking about him, right? In our world this week, everybody's talking about Taylor Swift. Travis Kelsey, she shows up at the box in the game and she's you know, doing chest bumps and yelling in his mom's ear. And we're like, what is going on? Why is she here? Is this a real relationship? Is this a PR thing? We don't know, but we're all talking about it. In first century Galilee, everybody's talking about this guy, Jesus. 
and what's going on with him. Mark says the whole town is lined up at the door to see him because of what they've heard and what they've seen. And that's good. It's natural. It makes sense. So far, so good. No problem. But as the story develops, we do begin to see a problem. And it's that Peter, the disciples, and and more than likely most of the people who've come to see him, they want this to be the main reason he came. They don't want his healings and miracle workings to be a part of his mission. They want it to be the focus of his mission. Look at what Mark tells us happened after this. Verse 35 tells us, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. After a long day and night, they finally go to bed, then they wake up, and all the people are back at the door. They're ready for more of what Jesus was doing yesterday, but Jesus is gone. They can't find him, and so they go frantically looking for him. And when they do find him, they say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And the Greek word looking for can also mean seeking. And one scholar I read said it has the idea here of seeking someone, quote, as an attempt to determine and control rather than to submit and follow. So there's, there's, there's rebuke going on here. Like, like, come on, Jesus. What are you doing? Where have you been? Why are you out here all by yourself? Everyone's lined up at the door again. Everybody's ready for more of what happened yesterday. Like, let's go. Let's go back, get into, and get into the action. From day one, they've got it confused. They want, and they think, Jesus has come primarily to meet their needs, to work wonders and give them his gifts. They think he's come to be a king whose purpose is to fix their problems and to make their life work here on earth. And this is the start of a tension we'll see throughout the rest of the book. A tension between why his disciples think Jesus has come and why he's really come, what he's really about. We'll see, they're, they're constantly pulling him. They're trying to fit him into their desires for him to be a, a miracle-working political savior who's come to give them the life they've always wanted. We'll see it throughout the book. But this tension doesn't stop with them. It's a tension followers of Jesus have struggled with ever since. One you and me still struggle with today. Us thinking this is Jesus' purpose in my life to meet my needs, to fix my problems, to give me the life I want, the job, the spouse, the family, the friends, the house, the health. Now hear me, this is important. Jesus does care about all this. We just said that. That's a big part of why he came, to show us how much he cares about us and the details of our lives. I mean, he he tells us repeatedly to pray boldly, to ask like a child, to, to come to God with the things we desire and want. I mean, Peter, of all people, tells us in his first letter that we should be casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. So Jesus, he, he cares deeply about your life. He cares deeply about my life. And so the problem isn't wanting him to do things for you, wanting him to heal or fix or bless or give you something. That The problem is in the heart. 
The problem is in, in the kind of seeking we're doing. Is it a, a seeking that's humble and ready to submit and follow him, or is it a seeking like we talked about and like we see here, that's trying to, to determine, that's trying to, to control him? And so often, that's where we are, the second one of those. Our expectation, our purpose for Jesus is that he's come to give us his gifts. That's what he's for. To give us a better life here on earth. And so we can see ourselves here in the disciples and in the crowds. But as we shift our attention to Jesus in the second half of the story and look at why the king has truly come, we see that that his expectation, his purpose is so much better than that. It's so much bigger than that. And so let's look at why the king has truly come. And so again, Jesus, he gets away. Peter and, and the crew, they come to find him. And in, in verse 38, Jesus gives us a very clear statement about his purpose. So backing up to verse 36, just to give us the context. And Simon, and by the way, I've been calling Simon Peter. Sorry if that's confusing. Uh, but Simon and those who are with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. In the midst of all the demands to go back to town and keep focusing on his healing ministry, to capitalize on the momentum he's got going on, Jesus says, that's not why I came. But I came to preach. I came to to proclaim. Well, what is he What is he preaching? He's preaching the message Mark's been trying to tell us about from his opening line of this book. The good news that the one true king has come. The king has come to do what John the Baptist was preparing everybody for. who Who can give us forgiveness for all of our sins. Who can bring broken and lost people like us into the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying and he's showing this is why I came. I didn't come just to give you my gifts. I came to give you myself. I didn't come just to to give you the power of God working in your life. I came to give you the presence of God in your life. And this is where verse 35 here is is so important. When Jesus leaves, he he goes to this desolate place to, to pray to his father. Because if you look at this in the flow of the story, it's clear this is the how for Jesus. It's how he doesn't give in to all the demands around him. It's how he he doesn't lose sight of his mission and purpose from his father. It's easy to forget for us that that while Jesus was and is fully God, he's also fully human. And and what that means is he, he felt these pressures. He felt these demands from everybody trying to to impose their own agendas on him to be the kind of king they wanted him to be. He felt all that, and so he needed to. You could say he had to get away and be with his father in order to stay focused, to stay grounded, to be reminded of his identity and what he truly came to do. So so this this is the how for him, for how he stayed the course like he did, but it's also a picture of the why. It's also a picture of of what Jesus came to give us. See, for Jesus, communion with his Father in the Spirit was the point of his life. In the divine dance of the Trinity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what he's experienced 
from all eternity. And, and, and Jesus knows it's the point of our life too, whether we recognize it or not, but this is what you and I were made for, to be known by God, to know him, to commune with him in this same dance of love. As much as we have legitimate, physical, and felt needs, this is our greatest need. And this is why when Jesus begins his prayer to his father in John 17, the high priestly prayer, this is what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And listen to this. And this is eternal life. This is what it is. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus' purpose for us is that we would know God, that we would have Him. Not just what He came to give us, but His presence, relationship. And I want you to think about this. What, what's more meaningful? Think about relationships you've had in your life. What means more to you when, when someone gives you a gift? Or when someone gives you themselves. My brother and I were talking about my grandfather this week. He uh, died about three and a half years ago. And uh, my brother had gone back to Weaverville recently to get something out of his barn. And, and we were catching up and just kind of remembering all of the cool stuff he had. Because he, he was just like one of those guys who had so many cool things. Uh, the loft in his barn was filled with treasures. It was kind of this magical place. Uh, at least for a young boy, he had all this old sports memorabilia, movie posters, all this boxing equipment kind of randomly. Um, he didn't box, but we would go up there and pretend to be Rocky. Um, there was this huge parachute hanging from the ceiling, which was just super cool. Um, taking friends there for the first time as a kid was one of my favorite things to do, just to let them see how amazing this place was. He had a, he had a slot machine we would play with. Uh, he had cars from the 1920s and 30s. He would drive around town and in the Weaverville like Christmas parade. And he worked in the grocery business. And so what that meant is he would often get like um, candy products before they came out. And so he would give them to us and we'd show them to people at school. I mean, it was so cool. He had so many cool things he gave us and that we got to use. But my favorite thing about my grandfather and, and what was most meaningful to me about him wasn't all he could give me. And as, as cool as all that was, but it was him. Right? It was his presence. It was my relationship with him. He was always around. He was always there. I can count on, the, on one hand the number of uh, times he missed one of my games or other important events in my life. He and my grandmother were always there. And, and that's what's most meaningful to me about him. That's what I miss, him. Right? And, and besides from being just meaningful, think about what's harder. I mean, in, in the scheme of things, it's not that hard to spend some money and give someone a gift. But what's hard is to spend everything that's required to give someone yourself. And do you know how much it cost God to do this for us? I mean, God the Father had to send His one and only Son, His beloved, to come and, and ultimately to be cast out of this dance of love so that we could be brought in. God the Son, Jesus, he had to lose the love of the Father. He had always known so that we could have it when we trust him. It cost everything. 
But this is what the king came to do. It's why he came. From, from ministry day one, his disciples and everybody else around him was so confused, but Jesus isn't. His eyes are, are set on what he came to do. Ultimately, his eyes are set on the cross. What he was going to do to bring you and me into the life and love we long for, which, by the way, will one day include the ultimate healing the future and final healing of every sickness and disease and trace of evil in our life, where we won't have any more physical and felt needs, but where we'll have everything and more we could ever want in him. That's why the king has truly come to do this for us. And so finally, what what does this mean for us? So what? Well, simply, when you see this is what Jesus is doing, This is what he wants to do. He wants to bring you into communion with God, that that's his goal for you. When you see that and you embrace it, here's what happens. It becomes the goal for you too. Like Jesus, prayer and and time with God becomes more than a means to some end. It becomes more than a duty you have to perform to keep God happy with you. It becomes more than, than something you need to do to make sure you can report back to a group of people who, who keep you accountable. It becomes the, the point of your life. It becomes your refuge, like the, the psalmists talk about over and over. It becomes everything for you. And of course, in this relationship, this communion with God, you do ask boldly for God to meet your needs. You plead with him to heal people you love. You pour your heart out to him with your desires, but because he's your goal and not what he can give you, instead of trying to control and manage, you're in a place of trust, a place of receiving, a place of of following. And like Jesus, this, this, this also becomes the place for you where you can stay rooted, where you can, can keep from getting lost in, in, in the sea of demands around you, where you can keep from losing your way, where you can be reminded that this world isn't it. That popularity and busyness and success and and productivity and everything being perfect all the time isn't actually the point. As you get away to a desolate place to be with God, you're reminded what is, and it's Him, it's His kingdom. That's here in part, but that's coming in full, and you can stay focused on what He's called you to do as a participant in this kingdom. And, and don't hear me at all up here saying this is easy. I mean, Jesus wrestled with God uh, in this desolate place, probably often. And we know for a fact he wrestled with God before he went to the cross. We, the, the Gospels tell us he was in absolute agony. And so I don't want to make this sound like this is an easy thing. And personally, I, I mean, I've been wrestling a lot lately with my daughter Sophia and her, all her health issues that are ongoing, asking God to heal her, to give us answers, to just make all this go away. But in this time, being alone with God has been so important for me to help me stay rooted, to help me remember what's true, to help um, my world that feels like it, it's getting so small become bigger again. See, the good news of the gospel is Jesus didn't come to be the kind of king you and I often want. He came to be the kind of king we need. He came to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
And what we're experiencing now is actually just the beginning. And so for now, as we follow him, he invites us to trust him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you uh, that you did come to be the king uh, we need. And Lord, we pray that, um, uh, Lord, you would heal us. You would meet our physical needs in the way um, we would love for them to be met today. Uh, But most of all, we pray that you would give us the faith um, to believe this and to see um, the absolute gift of you doing everything necessary to bring us into a relationship uh, with you, with your Father and the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that um, you would transform us with that truth and that it would, you'd help us to live in light of it. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.